Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, y'all. Welcome back. This is Eric and Matt here with Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Thanks for tuning back in. It's been a long week, my friend. Dude, it has been a crazy week, and I am ready to get back in some more podcasts. I hope everybody's had a great week, and thanks so much for tuning back in. Uh, Remember, you can follow us on all of the different podcast forums, um, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. We're all over the place. Also, we publish Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit in video form over on the um, Iraq Veteran 8888 YouTube channel. So make sure you check us out in video form as well. So there's tons of ways that you can consume our podcast. I would like to thank uh, today's show sponsor, Ballistic Inc. Go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up an awesome t-shirt. That's one way you can help support the podcast. Now, I am a little biased because Matt is the owner of Ballistic Inc., so... Appreciate right. you giving me your time and come down hanging out with us. Oh, it's no problem, man. <laughs> Not only just support LLP, but you can support a ton of other content creators that we partner with and provide merch for as well. Right on, man. So uh, if you want to support the podcast, go over and check out Ballistic Inc. I'll put a link in the description box below. Go pick yourself up a, a t-shirt. We got some awesome designs. We're going to break into today's video slash podcast. You're going to love this subject, and we're going to be talking about the top 10 guns of all time. Of all time. Of all time. time, time. There's a little echo there. (laughs) Yes. That was a real echo. Oh, yeah. That wasn't like a duck echo that doesn't exist, right? No, no, no. That was that was spot on. We have a little uh, modular box here that we can do all kinds of cool sound effects (laughs) with. All right. So we're going to dive into this list, and I think it's kind of worth noting before we get too far into this particular podcast uh, sort of maybe the criteria that we decided on, because it is really hard to just say, well, why would they be the top 10 guns of all time? Is it because of their iconic status in popular culture? Is it because of the engineering prowess that went into them? Is it because of their impact on warfare? There's so many criteria, so it's kind of hard to choose, right? So I feel like this list encompasses maybe a little bit of everything. We're trying to check the boxes, You're right. And, you know, we do minimal show prep here at LLP. Um, And part of that, (laughs) it's funny because it's true. Um, It's just two dudes just hanging out and chatting. But when we were talking about this before the show, all of the criteria, it was hard because, you know, as viewers, they everybody has their favorites, and you and we were just like, oh, we're gonna get this because some we forgot this gun, yeah. or and, and these are just you know top ten guns that we think of, like you said, iconic. And yes. then then you spitball. It's like, okay, well, it's iconic, but did it contribute to like the innovation of firearms? And what did it contribute? Is that even considered a, a good contribution? So you could go a million different ways with it. But guys, I promise you, this is going to be very entertaining, yeah. and I think that you will enjoy it. We tried to factor everybody in, because I know there's going to be certain guns that if I didn't add in this list, that you guys are going to give me so much crap, and That's we're right. probably still going to get a line of crap from everybody. So I'll tell you what, I'm just going to preface this by saying that if your gun didn't make it in this list, tell me why in the comment section down below. And you know what? Maybe we'll put together another podcast, and we'll go through all of your lists of top tens, and we'll pick our favorite top 10 lists and we'll elaborate on them. How about that? So I promise to do that. Tell me your top 10s. Mm-hmm. All right, now these are in no particular order at all. So don't think that just because this is first on the list that it's our favorite. Uh, there is no order. We're just going to go down the list. So the first one on the list is 
the MP5 SD. Oh, yeah. This was your, one of your picks. It is, and you know how I feel about the MP5 SD. I absolutely love the gun, which is contrary to what I actually believe in PCCs, because Eric will tell you, I hate PCCs. I am not a, I am not on the bandwagon for PCCs. They, to me, this is just my humble opinion. They serve no other purpose other than competition in the current, like, technology age because of body armor. They're pretty much irrelevant. Um, now I could see back in, like, you know, when the MP5 SD was a thing, their body armor existed, but it wasn't normal. You didn't have to worry about running into, like, clearing a room with guys with full kit. It was nine millimeter did a job. It punched holes and things and you died. Now, you know, it just doesn't have the power to get through that modern armor. Um, so it's more of a nostalgia thing for me. But again, what a gun, though. Yeah, it's an amazing that the technology that was in place when they built it, the roller delayed blowback. Um, I mean, just the being able to shoot the supers without having to change ammo, like all that stuff was so revolutionary for the time. And honestly, even now, when you pick one up and you just slap the bolt and you just let it run. It just it bring, it puts a smile on your face. All right. So I want everybody to hear what the MP5 SD sounds like. You ready? Here you go. All right. So that was out at Ox Ranch. <laughs> and we did a video on, on their MP5 SD. And it's actually a factory SD, not a conversion gun, which is pretty rare. Was, you know, So it's a really awesome gun. So it's integral suppressed in a way. And it uses a variety of different technologies that, for the time, were pretty freaking sick setup. Mm-hmm. Um, because that bolt stays locked, you know, for a pretty specific amount of time, it's it's got very good accuracy. And because of the volume uh, of the integral end and the way that the suppressor volume is is integrated into the gun and the way that the barrel's ported uh, near the chamber and everything, it really just takes a lot of the edge even off of supers. Now, you're going to get a little bit lower velocity, but the cool thing about that is it'll run supers, it'll run subs, and they'll eat anything. And when you run supers through them, they've got a real unique kind of sound. They've got a little little kind of a whirl or a whistle. You'll hear it. And it's, it's a sound that only the SD makes. I've noticed suppressed Uzis kind of have a bit of a yeah. tone to them it sounds as well. Like, it sounds like a choo-choo train. Yeah, it's kind of got a little bit of a tone to it, but... The MP5 SD in its day was was probably one of the most, you know, the coolest pieces of, of room clearing kit that you could probably get a hold of. Oh, yeah. And I agree with your assessment on body armor. I feel like um, the prevalence of body armor as well as the cost of body armor being what it is now. Um, it, and it, look, it's a good thing that it's available to more people. Right, that that it is a more common commodity for the average person to be able to protect themselves, and that is a good thing. That is not a bad thing, right? Being able to have a passive way uh, to protect yourself. You don't have to own a gun to own body armor, uh, but because there is more body armor out there, yeah, I mean, 9 mil probably for, let's just say, tactical purposes, like yes. it would have been used for in its in the heyday of its, of its infamy, or fa- famous, you know, it was famous and everything, but... In the heyday of its of its full bore use, you know, it, it was probably a more useful tool for tactical operations than what it would be today. But hey, I ain't gonna doubt. There's probably still some MP5 SDs floating around out there in the world oh, getting no used doubt. in operations. I mean, it depends on where you're going. Yeah. I mean, now, like if if you if you know like the op you're going on is 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 you know maybe a how do I say this? I don't want to sound bad when I say this, but you know if you go into a third world country where maybe they don't may not have the best equipment and body armor may not be a consideration 
well, well then it's probably okay to just run a nine mil. That's right. So this well, still has its use. Well, st- we'll think, you know, uh, let's just, you know, to compare, you know, technology, America is using fifth and sixth, g- fifth gen and like five and a half gen fighters. Iran is running F-14 Tomcats from like the seventies. So when you think about like third world countries, yeah, that would make sense that, you know, you might see them in use that in Iran or any other countries that are running, you know, older tech, that's like the pinnacle for them. That's what they're using. Well, He's look like, at all the T-72s get blown up in uh, yeah in, in the Ukraine and look at all the MiGs they're using, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, is not a, a super modern jet by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no, so they're not. You know, look, just because a piece of equipment, let's just say, may not be up to the same par of technology of what's currently available, doesn't mean that it is not, you know, let's just say comparable to the lack of technology somewhere else, right? So if your country doesn't have fighter planes at all or a mechanized military at all and someone comes rolling up with a T-72, well, I'm sure a T-72 would be a pretty formidable thing to see on the horizon when all you have is a mud hut. So yeah, and you don't have any, it's all relative, like, yeah, you have no, no anti-tank that would definitely roll you over. Yeah. Um, but just think about how iconic it is. Like, like to me, like SAS got the gas mask on, you have yeah. the mat, you have the mag light, like duct tape to the, to the gun. I mean, that's just, yeah, there's something the boxes, to say man. about guys that were just like in the moment and just had to come up with a solution on the fly. And like, mm-hmm. that's how innovation happens, right? Is when you go, well, there's not a solution. You know, you didn't have a, a nice foreign you could drop on with a built in light or like pick rails to add things on. I mean, these are the days where, where guys were just using what they had and making it and they made yeah. it work. And that helped define like the tactical environment we see now for gear. Uh, literally is defined by those early innovators who was like, well, I got to have a light. Well, I got duct tape. Yeah. Let's go. Like We ain't Dude. got time to mess with this. Let's, let's go. You know, that reminds me of when we were uh, deployed. I look back at some of the pictures and I'm just like, wow, we did some pretty wacky stuff. Like we had some really weird setups. And in hindsight, we did it because we didn't have a choice. Yeah. And a good example of that is when we had to dismount the 240 Bravos, we would pull the pistol grip, the Knight's pistol grips off of our M4s. And the 240s didn't have pick rail on the bottom. They just had a heat shield, but they had pick rail on the side. So we were taking the, <laughs> we were taking the, the Knight's pistol grips off the M4s, putting them on the side of the 240s so we could <laughs> dismount them. And we're running around like holding them like a sterling so yeah. we could actually hold the 240 <laughs> dismounted. And we looked back at pictures and we're like, holy crap, we were I mean, actually doing it ain't that. dumb if it works, man. <laughs> and, you know, it's true, but then you look at like, now you look at it, you're like, wow, man, that's nuts. Yeah, the more modern, yeah. uh, like I know the paratrooper saws that have all the yes, collapsible dude. stock and the and lightning And we saw cuts some of those, and- like right when we were leaving, we saw some of like the Hunter First guys coming in and they had like the cool Paris stocks. We're like, oh, of course these guys get the, yeah. <laughs> they get the cool ninja gear. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes though. Hey, look, MP5 SD, yep. great addition to this list. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next one. All right, in no particular order, the next one on the list the Ruger 1022. Ah, uh, classic. Dude, it has to be on this list. It has to be. It's one of the most prevalent semi-auto rifles uh, in 22 long rifle on the planet, definitely in the US for sure. They've been used militarily by tons of different countries. Um, they've been used by sportsmen, uh, people defending their homes. I mean, like the Ruger 1022 was really like I know the model people are going to say, but the Model 60, Eric, the Marlin Model 60. Yes, the Marlin Model 60. They made millions of them. I get it. But the Ruger 1022 paved the way in a very important way that the Model 60 just could not do. 
magazine fed, the rotary box magazine. You know, mm-hmm. now you have BX-25s, you have Ruger Charger pistols uh, in very short configuration. So the 1022 has come full circle. And even in its heyday, when it was still a new design, the 1022 was a fantastic gun. It's been in production for a long time. It's been changed and modified and, and turned into really awesome stuff over the years. You got the takedowns. Yep. I mean, there's so many cool things that have been done with Ruger 1022 platform, and it would be criminal not to include it in this list. If you could only have one semi-auto 1022, I would argue that the 1022 must be in that list. It has to be. I agree. (laughs) And that, I mean, the amount of just sheer fun that you have with it when you're plinking, it doesn't, like, it's really weird to compare, but if you put, say, like an AR... 15 and a 1022 at the range, you probably have more fun shooting that 1022 in rapid succession because you can just shoot so fast, so accurately. And I mean, to me, I, my fondest memory was a buddy that had a 1022 and he they had a gat trigger on it. And that was like my first experience with yeah, like, little, yes. Little and I was like, what is that? He's like, it was just like the cool. And I mean, yeah, we're like 13 or 14 years old and you're just letting it run. You're like, oh my God. And he's like this. And then like, then you start having like, oh, this is illegal, but I got it from like, you know, Alabama or something. And we brought, yeah, it's like those little kids things that you're telling them. And you're like, oh wow. What is that's cool. Yeah. But I mean, just those, those were a thing for a yeah, while. Yeah, man. Like those fond memories of just having like the fun with that and just being able to plink forever with it. it it's really cool. The 1022, man, it's just such a great gun. You know, if you just get a standard like Woodstock carbine, like an old school one, um, it's just every time I pick up a regular iron sided 1022 and just play with it, even with it's just a 10 shot rotary in it. It just takes you back to a time like there's just something about being a kid. And for the first time shooting a 1022 like yep. it's magical it's just such a cool gun like working the little bolt you know mm-hmm. it's just that is yeah it's you're like, something about it yes. it's just such a neat little gun and it's it's a design that's proven it's held up well um they do have their quirks they're not perfect <laughs> as some rim fires you know obviously with t- with 22 rifles um you know many people across the board with the exception of some gun designs it's kind of rare to find a 22 rimfire autoloader that is 110% reliable. Uh, now, when you take a standard 1022 with a 10-shot box and a standard configuration, no crazy parts added, just a stock gun, yeah, you're going to get pretty bone stock cold reliability out of it, okay? When you start changing a bunch of stuff and you add variables, uh, that's where things can get tricky. However, the 1022 has held its own. It's still in production, and that's saying something. I believe it came out in the late 60s, maybe early 70s. Yeah. It's been out. I mean, come on, man. She's been out a long time. Oh, yeah. And, and then that great the, gun. In the original format with like wood furniture, just like very simple, bare bones, like 22 rifle. Yeah. Kind of M1 carbine vibe. That's sort of got it that. Real, you know what? It really did have got that, that vibe. It did have that M1 carbine vibe. And it's very non-intimidating for a kid. I mean, it's a great starter rifle for like youth because it's Agreed. not loud, no recoil impulse, and it's cheap to shoot. Cheap to shoot, and I mean, you could have a seven or eight year old little girl shoot it, and she'd be absolutely fine. Yep. So I mean, and then make youth models. Yes, shorter stock, just, shorter barrel. That's and, a great addition, man. I think dude, that absolutely has to be on the list. I agree. All right, so Ruger 1022 is number two. 
We're going to get into number three. Again, these are in no order, but we're stepping up the power. We're going a long way from the Ruger 1022. This is an about face for sure. And I feel that we had to add the Barrett M107A1 yes. to this list. And uh, that's quite a rifle. As you know, it's a semi-auto 50 BMG man-portable rifle. Uh, Ronnie Barrett designed this gun in his garage. Well, the base model, uh, the M82, I believe, was designed in his garage, essentially. But the 107A1 is the culmination of, of Ronnie Barrett's genius. And this man invented this gun in his garage, and people told him, the military will never buy a man-portable 50. In fact, you can't make a man-portable 50. You're going to fire this gun. It's going to blow up in your face. Everybody's going to think you're an idiot. They thought that he was full of crap and nobody would ever want it. Mm-hmm. Who wants that? Nobody needs that. Well, apparently oh, they were yeah. wrong. How times have changed. They were wrong. I mean, and it's the, it is the weirdest thing to think that the military wouldn't want a 50 caliber man-portable rifle anti-material rifle because think about what they were doing with it so as soon as this rifle came out it was developed and they field tested it it went from shooting people to shooting to disabling aircraft so now you can put a six-man team on the ground and they can disable a 15 million dollar fighter jet from a mile away not just one they can take out every single plane on the airfield and they don't even know what's going on. That, by I mean, the time they know what's going on, they pick up the gun and run exactly. away. Nobody they're knows they're there. I mean, that is really, really innovation. They yeah. don't have to waste a, a ten million dollar, you know, missile. They just send six dudes out there with the <laughs> with the rifle. That's right. I've got a lot of respect for Ronnie Barrett, and I feel like you know, to w- would you go as far as to say that Ronnie is like the John Browning of our time? I don't know if I would go that stretch because you know. John Browning is a pretty amazing guy. Yes. However, one thing that I have a lot of respect for Ronnie Barrett is that he is the quintessential American entrepreneur. He's a person who had a vision and he had a goal and they told him he couldn't do it. And how do you get an American to do something? You tell him we can't do it. That's right. And what did he do? He made it work. And you know what? I got a lot of respect for that guy because, you know, I think that that is like the quintessential American dream is to become an entrepreneur and to have a dream and to pursue it. And he did. And look at what he built. And uh, and look how many American lives that rifle was saved. Yes. And uh, I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, military contracts. I mean, look how many civilians own them. I own one. It's my favorite rifle. I mean, when it comes to big bore, get the job done, like if you need a gun that can just do any job you need, the Barrett M107A1 does not disappoint. Well, think about how much the family. <laughs> That's well, a that, lot of firepower. And, and think about the contributions of the Barrett family, though. So it's not just Ronnie. The he, so, and it, it's the tradition of them continuing to innovate. So you had, mm-hmm. you know, Ronnie with the Barrett uh, M107, M82. Yeah. Chris come out with the MRAD. Yeah. So, fantastic gun. So, and I mean, it's just going to continue because basically he did the same thing. He said, all right, my dad made a big bore. And then he was like, I can do something that's maybe he can't top that. What can yeah. you can't top that? So he made an MRAD. So and that allows you to, you know, chamber multiple intermediate yeah. cartridges. And again, innovation where it wasn't before. And I think that that particular family is going to start a heritage like oh, that. Yeah. So now they have this thing where it's just going to continue to innovate. And I think it's great. And I think if you can afford it, they're I mean Let's be honest here. They're not, they're not the most inexpensive rifles. Even the MRAD is super expensive. 
Um, but you know, guys that are into collecting, it's, it's par for the course. So if you look at like a Knights, you know, a Knights SAS, it's in the same ballpark. So, yeah. I mean, again, great choice. And for anti-material big bore, that's the way to go, man. It'll do it. I've been up to Murfreesboro. Uh, it's cool. The shop, if you ever have a chance to go, it's, it's a really cool place to visit. Uh, maybe one day when we're traveling, I'll take you by and we'll, we'll check out the Barrett shop. It's neat. Uh, I went up there and purchased, uh, some uh, extra magazines for one, my 107. And, uh, I think Chris was there. I might have hung out. Look, Chris is a great guy, you know, mm-hmm. and look, the whole family, they're all friendly people. Every one of them I've ever met. If you guys are watching, y'all are great people. And, uh, I really appreciate what y'all do. And I, I got a lot of respect for that family. Well, and uh, it's I, really cool. I just wanted to touch on the one story about the customer service with the M107 slash M82 for the Marine oh, I know Corps. the story, but you so, Yeah, there was a bunch there. It was when it had kind of just went into production, just been fielded. There was a, a squad of Marines that were, you know, having some technical issues uh, with the weapons system on the battlefield in the middle of a firefight. They they used a sat phone and called in to Barrett <laughs> customer service said, hey, we're having a problem with this rifle on the battlefield, and they literally troubleshot the issue with that rifle while they're taking fire, remedied the situation, and they were able to get the weapon system up and running. And I was like, man, that's a, imagine being on the phone, and you're just hearing incoming, like incoming fire, and they're like, no, no, you need to fix this and fix that. And <laughs> I mean, it's like, all right, you're on the space station, and you call Houston. And you go, "Hey, um, there's something leaking here. Should, you know, something's going on." And then all the eggheads in Houston start grabbing hoses. You know, yep. you've seen in the movies, yes, and they yes. start going, "All right, how, how? All right, with what's available on the spacecraft? How do we fix like this Apollo problem?" Like Apollo 13, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Like, all right, you grab the rifle. You go, "All right, what the heck is going on?" Like, and I think what it ended up being was uh, the receiver section on the top had gotten a little bit bent, mm-hmm. and they were able to, I guess, like take the bolt and sort of wedge it in there and bend it back, and that's what the solution they came up with. And that, yep. and I believe that's that, that's what happened because the upper receiver section on the one hundred and seven, if you have the gun apart, it is a little bit thin up near the top as uh, the rear part of the receiver. And yes, if that took a fall or, or mm-hmm. something, it could potentially bend. Uh, you know, it is just like sheet metal or whatever you want to call it. Right. You know, stamped metal. What a cool gun. Anyway, I could talk about the 107 all day long. It's one of my favorites, but totally needed to be on this list. I could not make this list without putting that gun on there. I want to mention, though, real quick, that the runner-up for this particular slot was the uh, Browning M2. Yes. Yet we did. That deserves bore. an honorable mention. I wanted to put yep. that on here, but I felt like the 107 was a little bit, you know, it's still in use. I mean, gosh, it's just... Um, I believe a gun that probably deserves to take the place of the M2 for for this purpose. I I think for all intents and purposes in the modern age, um, you are correct. Yeah. Um, but the M2 is no slouch, and it will definitely bring the pain, dude. It will. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna move on to number four, uh, the FAL, baby. Oh yeah, you gotta have the FAL on the, the list. right hand of the free world. Yep. And you know, I really, really think America got shafted with that whole deal because you know we wound up with the m14 and everybody else wound up with the fal and you know again governmental politics and you know backroom deals and money being exchanged for what it's worth we got we got shafted yeah we paid the price um in blood because there was a couple of wars that happened in between that really would have been better if we had an fal in our side um but the rifle itself 
innovative adjustable gas port, man adjustable gas port, you know, in real time with no tools. You can do it with your hand. Um, You can make adjustments on the fly. It shoots a full battle cartridge. So you're getting, you know, you're not getting a a shortened uh, 7.62 by 39. You're not getting any compromises. You're getting a full 7.62 by 51. Um, full length, the original FAL, full barrel length, screaming out of there. Good capacity, 20 rounds. Mm. Yeah, I mean, everything about it is just mm. perfect. <laughs> like a fine <laughs> yes. wine, baby. I love the FAL. And um, so I'm partial to the heavy barrel Israeli models with the ah, big-ass bipod on it. The me. hammer. Oh, man, they're such cool guns. You know, you can just lay in the prone and get behind it, man, and it just feels like an extension of your body. I love the ergonomics of the FAL. The adjustable gas system is very handy for a wide variety of different ammunition types. Um, DSA makes a fantastic FAL, and they offer them in a huge variety of different configurations. Yep. The FAL is here to stay. It ain't going nowhere. And just so you know, in case uh, folks, you know, don't realize this, I want to just quickly give you just kind of an idea of the of the lineage in very basic terms here. You have the FN forty nine service rifle, uh, which was a day late and a dollar short, right? Nineteen forty nine. You know, hey, the war's over. It, it was just it was there too late to have any use in in the Second World War. Yep. Now the FN forty nine went on to be used, you know, in some conflicts here and there, but for the most part, it was a day late and a dollar short. However, a very important gun design that paved the way for the FAL. So you have the FN forty nine, the FAL, and then as you see, the FAL kind of gave way to the Scar series. So you can see where that lineage takes its uh, its its influence from, right? And John Browning was uh, very. I believe I want to say that John Browning was very involved, uh, maybe in the early stages of that particular gun design. I want to say so, or it might have been his protege that worked on the uh, the the uh, high power, mm-hmm. who had had more of a, a hand in the uh, uh, in the FN forty nine. However, it is a a fantastic gun design. I do have an FN forty nine. Uh, it's an Egyptian contract gun in eight millimeter. Where is it? Anyway, I've got an FN-49. They're cool guns, uh, but the FAL, there's just something about it. I mean, the SCAR, like, I feel like if I if I fell down a flight of stairs or fell off the side of a mountain, all right, would my SCAR still be in one piece when it got to the bottom? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Would well, the, the FAL, charging handle won't be. <laughs> the FAL would get up and dust itself off and say, get up, bitch. Yeah. Like, what are you waiting on? Come on. Yeah. Like, get up. What are, you, what are you doing, wimp? Come on. Yep. Like, the FAL is just man's gun like you pick it up and it just it's wood and iron steel and brawn it's made of like you know conan the barbarian's beard hairs like it's just dang you just okay wanna, <laughs> you just want to attach a bayonet to it and just go conquer like me. it's just it's a conqueror's gun it just feels like a real rifle me men a battle hulk, rifle hulk smash of epic proportions <laughs> it's but true it it's, is a great gun well that and the what makes it so great is that the expectation that you have for it is that it will just shoot. And you're, the expectation isn't that you're shooting for a sub-MOA or even one MOA or two MOA. This is a minute of man gun. Yep. You, you point, you shoot, and it will hit 
somewhere yeah, four minute guns. yeah it will sit somewhere within four minutes and then that person will fall down now yeah. are you, is the expectation you're going to hit them between the eyes or in the cerebral cortex no you're going to aim center mass and that's what is makes it so reliable like you can throw it down the stairs and you're not worried about oh i lost my zero it's like no you held the zero it's a four minute gun yeah, yeah. you know and it's just they it, do have the capability to be pretty accurate, but they do across the board. I would say four minutes is you know with iron sights and the stock military trigger, and especially with just a regular GI weight barrel, four minutes is about what they do, and that's fine. A four minute gun uh, won World War Two. The that? M1 Garand was a four minute gun, right? Worked. And I mean, now you get a man-sized target 300 meters. That's kind of what it's designed to do, right? 500 maybe if you're a good shot. Yeah, and, and think about you know they weren't so concerned about barrel length or anything. It was, you know, M1 Grand, for example, they're in Germany and Italy. They're clearing rooms with full length M1s. They're not concerned about all that stuff. Like they just get the job done. That's right. Back when, you, back when men were men. A true master care. uses the tools he's given. Doesn't complain about it. You That's just right. you get in there and you do the job. Now, the beautiful part about it is now DSA, they're doing modern FALs. So now if you want the old school original FAL, you can get that. You want the modern paratrooper, rail yes, yeah. like rails, collapsible stocks, upgraded triggers, mm. and these things look amazing. I'm ordering one. Oh, That's yeah, it. Man. Yeah. I don't S- have one. I'm ordering yeah, one. Yeah, go get yourself an SA-58. Dude. Mm. And then they have one. pistol versions, which are um, a little outlandish by any means, because you're going to be spitting fire out of the front of that barrel. But like man, 14-inch barrel cool. or 12-inch yeah. barrel. Ooh. It's like a 12-inch barrel pistol. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> But well, they look good. It's a cool comparison to think, okay, that a 308 out of a 12 inch barrel versus, let's say, a 762 by 39 out of a 10 and a half inch barrel. You're still, you've still got a heck of an edge of power and velocity oh, yeah. with that, with that 308, 308, even out of the, out of the shorter barrel. We're going to do a video and compare those. I think that'd be a cool thing to show, like barrel length in an AK with yeah. an intermediate cartridge versus a, like an FAL or a SCAR with a short barrel. Stay tuned. We're going to make that video. That right That's on. in the future. All right. We're going to move on. Number five on the list. We still got a ways to go. Strap in. Grab your coffee. The Glock P80, mm-hmm. or let's just say the Glock series of pistols. But mm-hmm. I chose the P80 because the P80 represents an important area of innovation for polymer frame pistol designs moving forward. I mean, every polymer frame pistol that exists today took some type of lineage or influence from the Glock in some way, shape, or form. Gadsden was a genius, and his pistol paved the way for a very, very important series of innovations in the firearms industry. I mean, if if John Browning had access to polymer in the way that we know it today, what what could he have dreamed up? Oh, he would absolutely have used it. There is not a doubt in 100%. my mind that he would say real steel that's plastic toys he would ju- he's an innovator he was smart and he's an inventor can you and, imagine yeah, man. what he would have come up with so mm-hmm. to think that like man who would have thought like when that gun came out people are probably thinking what is this plastic piece of crap that's exactly what they thought that's exactly what they thought they're like oh this is a plastic toy then you had the whole airport scare, the the bad press, which really wasn't bad press. It was good press at the time because they're like, oh, you can sneak this into airports. And, That's right. You know, but no, you can't. That, but, you know, irregardless of the fact, I think that that press did more to build the brand and the technology than you could ever imagine. Now, look at Die Hard. Yeah. I mean, 
like I think it was the second Die Hard movie where it was in there. Oh, I've got this special. Gl-, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Yeah. Like, so you're saying you don't have any metal parts or metal slide or metal barrel in there? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think it was that movie, The Jackal. Right? Oh yeah, and, and the jackal. Uh, so was it? Uh, oh, what's his face? Oh my gosh, the I character know. in the jackal when he made that little like plastic gun. He yeah. was out the, at, at the pond killing ducks with it. Yeah, like, what you doing? Testing my gun. You know, boom. Yep. Like that put that in people's minds that oh, I've got to be able to sneak this gun in and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, so there is a lot in popular culture that kind of helped that gun gain its prevalence too. And and you know, I'm sure in 1980 it was a pretty futuristic looking gun because. It Think was, about what else was out there. Yeah, and it was it had hard edges. It was a it was it was very blocky. You know, real defined edges, completely different than what you normally see at the time. At the time, everything was more like the Beretta. You know, uh, what is it? Beretta F ninety two or ninety two F. Everything was very like elegant and rounded and designed to go into holster like specific holsters. Um, and it was just something completely different. Yes. So the original, the original. Tactical Tupperware. Yes. So a couple of things that I noticed immediately with the P80s, there was no stippling. Like the stippling is very, very minimal. So it's yeah. not like you see it now. This is a reissue of the yes. P80. This is not an original, but they right, did reissue right. the P80. As I can tell from the box. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, man. I mean, it's... This thing is really, cool? it's a really, really, and I'm, I'm really happy they reissued that. And I mean, it really gives you an idea of the, the upgrades and where it came from where it began, you know, because cool? when you look at like the, the, even from like arguably the most popular, you know, generation being like third gen, fourth gen, and a fifth gen. Now, when you look at a fifth gen, and a P80, they're worlds apart. They come a long way. Oh yeah, and they're similar. But when you start picking up on all the small stuff, the the tapering on the barrel or the tapering on the slides and the frames and the stippling and the undercuts, a rail lot, systems, rails, yeah, everything. Recoil reduction changed. system. Yep. The new, I think they got the like uh, marksman barrels. Mark, yeah, now, then, like they, the, then they had some that had like these little ports on the top that were supposed to help compensate and push the barrel. Like so, a lot of cool stuff that took place. I think. Look, before we go on to the next one, I'll just add that I think the coolest innovation that Glock did was when they came out with the 45s and the 10 mils and the long slide. I'm a real fan of the Glock Model 20. I think it's such a cool gun to have mm-hmm. 10 millimeter in your hand with generous capacity. I mean, like the Glock Model 20 was a cool gun, but I like the 40 MOS. I actually have a 40 MOS and a BNT chassis. Yep. And it is amazing. And that, that's probably my favorite Glock is the long slide 10 mil. Whew, man, it just gets down. It lays the the thunder down out of a six inch barrel. You're getting almost 41 Magnum velocities out of a semi auto pistol, which is pretty freaking stellar. Yep. If you ask me. And I mean, that was another thing that Glock really innovated on was you know having a lot of the different variations of calibers with the same manual of arms because that was very rare. Like you didn't see like you know, Beretta 92s in multiple calibers. They just didn't... They Especially didn't, different frames. Yeah, and like, because I mean, it just didn't exist. But then you come into Glock and you have 9 mil, 40, 45, 357s, like all these different calibers, but they're all the same. Well, for the most part, the same size frames yep. or the same manual of arms. It was 
It's really cool, man. The Glock's a cool gun. I know that Glocks have their their fan base and their fanboys. And, and look, I love Glocks, okay, but I also love M and P's. I love Smith and Wesson M and P. You know, I love the CZ seventy five, and I could go on all day about all the pistols that I love, and honestly, some that I probably like a little more than a Glock. But I yep. felt like the Glock needed to be on this list because, as a gun that can just go to hell and back, and it works, mm-hmm. and it's consistent. And they're rugged and they're reliable and they do that that job really well. I feel like the Glock is the quintessential go to hell type of pistol. And you know whether you want to admit that or not, they are very reliable. They're they're great guns. Well, I call it how I see it: a duck is a duck, and right. you cannot you cannot say Glock didn't create and innovate the space. And I'm like you, I don't shoot Glocks for crap. Like I love Glocks, but I can't shoot them that well. But I pick up a CZ like P10C and I'll shoot the daylights out of it. That's right. It, and it's based off of a Glock. So, I mean, it's just these weird things. It's yeah. like, I love Glocks, but I can't shoot them. I've never shot Glocks particularly well. Mm-hmm. I, I have to upgrade the sights. I uh, Look, without getting too far on a tangent here, I like the um, the FBI length or the FBI width front sight post. Uh, so, Trigicon sells a special set of HD night sights that mm-hmm. have the little thin front sight post. I like that set of sights. And I like the Apex trigger uh, or any, nice. you know, the upgraded ghost triggers are not bad too, but I do like a little bit better trigger in a Glock if I can help it. But other than that, they're great guns. Yep. All right. We're going to move on. Uh, Glocks are great. Uh, number six, the AK-47 uh, family of guns. And let's just say series. You can't make this this list without adding the AKs in there. Oh, no. This is just so many variants, Right. It's still in use. I mean, look at the AK-12 and look at all of the work they've done with this platform and what they have done to enhance it and bring it into the modern age. You know, you got the AK-47. Obviously, if you guys don't know, the AK-47 was invented by a uh, tank commander that served in World War II. His name was Mikhail Kalishnikov. Mikhail. Mikhail Kalishnikov. (laughs) And uh, look, you know, a patriot, loved his country, got wounded uh, in a tank uh, while he's recovering the hospital. Drew up some crude drawings for what would become the first AK-47. And uh, the man invented a simple machine that did a simple job and and wanted to build a tool that his country could defend themselves with better. That was the overall prospect there. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. I mean, he he created and invented a 100% solution to the problem. So the, the problem was that they didn't have an automatic rifle that you could use inside of a tank that was collapsible enough to fit inside of the tank, but also could be used on the front lines. He created that. And the rest is history, as they say. And for what it's worth, it's probably the most, I want to say, the most innovative design for an assault rifle. Yeah, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the military. And I use that term because if you're using it militaristically, you, that pretty much is what I would imagine because you have a forward group that is close with and destroying the enemy, right? Automatic weapons. And it, it just, it's it runs so well and it lends itself to being modified and, and serviced at the user level so well i mean if it breaks you can you know bubble gum and some some rubber bands and yeah. you're good to go man well hitler was not a big fan of the sermi 
And, you know, that particular gun was a pretty advanced piece of tech, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people that say that the Kalashnikov got some of its design parameters, maybe from the Schirmgewehr, you know, it, it may be the idea for the cartridge, right? The uh, the 8mm uh, Kurz cartridge, you know, a shortened 8mm case. All right, so maybe they kind of took some of that idea and integrated it in. Um, there's a lot of people go back and forth over it. We're not going to get into that. However, I would say out of the AK family, um, the AKs that I like the most, I love the 74s. I like the uh, AK-105 series. Yep. And I love any of the AKs in 5.56 because I feel like one of the things that the AKs do suffer from is that um, because the barrel stock, when you look at the size of the bore to the size of the barrel stock and the, and the diameter of the barrel, they do tend to whip around a little bit. So the barrels are a bit whippy. And because of the way the gas system is attached to the barrel, just through basically swaged pins and and different cuts that they put, like these stepped cuts in order to get the uh, gas block to sit on the barrel in the right way, and they cross pin it and all, um, it does tend to really throw the harmonics of the barrel off a lot. They're not really known for like crazy accuracy. They're more of a, you know, kind of minute of man at 250 yards kind of gun. You know, they're not like super precise tools, you know, but I always felt like the five, five sixes and, and 74s shot a bit better. If anything, just by virtue of the fact that for a given barrel diameter, there's a smaller hole going through it, more of a 22 diameter hole as opposed to a 30 cal hole. So that makes the barrel stock a little thicker. So that kind of inheritedly got rid of some of those, um, uh, let's just say, um, those issues with the harmonics, right? Now, maybe that was by design or maybe they just got lucky and it just mm-hmm. sort of happened that way just by virtue of uh, not only strength to, to to weight ratio of the way that those barrels ended up coming out or just by virtue of the fact that the barrel's more rigid, right? And maybe they didn't understand or know or care about harmonics or accuracy or focusing on marksmanship. I mean, you remember that the doctrine at the time would be to just arm a bunch of conscripts who had very minimal amount of training, Right, you show them. Hey, you pull this back. You load it. Here's how to put the mag in and out. Here's this little lever. You flip it. All right, shoot those uh, sandbags there. All right, it works. Go. Minimal amount of training. Minimal amount of upkeep. Right. Very simplistic in its operation. Cheap to produce. So therefore, um, remember also that not only the Soviets, but really just countries that were making these guns were also giving them as war aid to various, you know, places across the world. So yep. it was an easy gun to mass produce and give away, give out to conscripts, arm your soldiers. You can make a lot of them. They were, you know, the early ones were milled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later on with the stampings, they could really hammer them out. It's just nuts. Well, think about what you saw, like, just in Vietnam. I mean, the during the Vietnam conflict, they were just airdropping them to the NVA mm-hmm. at that point. I mean, they're everywhere, stamped. They're and cheap to make. You know, I would say the only drawback from the original all the way there was a lot of milled AKs in them. So the what I was going to say was the issue was it didn't lend itself to being modified. So in during Vietnam, you would see the U.S. troops modifying their weapons, kind of like with their own stuff. But in the, on the AKs, the dust cover didn't allow you to put any type of optics. You could put some like forward grips on it, yeah. but you were kind of stuck with, you know, iron sights the way it was. There was no options there. It's pretty um, much a what you see is what you get. Exactly. Gun. And and up until recently when they started coming out with some really cool like 
uh, mounts that you could put like are the, I forget the name of the company that makes the really good ones, but you would mount it and you could put optics on there and stuff like that. And then you have the Sega series that kind of drew from that as well. Yeah. Scott at RS regulate does a great job on the mounts. Uh, quick, quick little thing too. When you look at the SKS, all right, that one almost made it onto the list. I want to give it honorable mention. Uh, the SKS uses mill receiver, but a buddy of mine actually has an SKS with a stamp receiver, believe it or not. So oh, there are a cool. few SKSs out there with stamp receivers. All right, we're going to move on. AK, great gun. Iconic, infamous to many. Mm-hmm. Uh, many variants, many different calibers. Still in use today. Yep. Still supported today. Still given out as aid today. Still stocked and made. I mean, still in production. Like It's, it's, a, it's yep. a gun that is not going anywhere. It's here to stay. So on that note, real quick, we're going to move on to the next gun. But if you guys haven't looked at the documentary on YouTube, it is uh, it shows the arms makers of um, you know Afghanistan and Pakistan. The Kyber Pass. Uh, yes. So when you when you hear me say, oh, it can be held together with you know, bubble gum and rubber bands, Go look at that documentary. You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. We're going to get on down the list. We are running maybe a little close on time, so we're going to go through these a little quicker, but um, just a time hack there. Okay. Number seven. All right. This one was hard, so I have to give a couple of guns an honorable mention on this because I couldn't decide between the two. This Franchi Spaz 12 Mm. and the Benelli M3. Convertible, semi, pump, shotgun. I feel like these guns are pretty important to talk about. They ver- they are in more ways than one. Yeah. Um. You know. I'm and I'm I'm just gonna drop on the uh, the Spaz twelve. I've seen uh the the M three, but I'm not a hundred percent. You know. Uh, I know Chad has one. We've, we've shot it, and of course you have one. But for me, the Spaz is the, is the iconic one that kind of yeah. started the whole pump semi pump like thing it just looks cool man like that's right ah, it looks like it's just a mean piece of hardware the spaz 12 has solidified itself in popular culture and for good reason because it's cool i mean imagine how many movies you've seen the spaz 12 in clever now, girl yeah, clever girl in reality okay the spaz 12 probably it it was not without its issues it was prone to parts breakage uh, the manual of arms is a little bit difficult. There's these little levers and random crap you got to do. So it's not super intuitive to use. Um, but they were cool guns. And if you take care of them and keep them clean and maybe have a few extra parts, not a bad gun to have if you're a collector. Now, all right, what if you want to have the functionality of this past 12, but in a modern gun that actually works and has good parts support? I would say the Benelli M3 is obviously king. Uh, the Benelli M3 is, for me, the quintessential convertible shotgun. It can go from pump to semi very easy and quickly. They're reliable. You can run a wide variety of different shells through them. They come in a wide variety of different configurations, various stocks. They're fantastic shotguns. I love them. Uh, I wanted that to be in this list because I feel like that's a unique thing um, that is very innovative. And not very many guns are convertibles these days. So it, it really fits its own little niche. Now, I do love the Benelli M4. Love it. We're, we're going to get to another shotgun here in a minute, but uh, I'm giving something away. But the M3, I think, is pretty important to put on this list. I would agree. And I, what I don't understand is maybe it is a weight thing or a price thing, but it to me, it would only make sense to make them both because having double redundancy, especially on a semi-auto shotgun, it just gives you so much more uh, ability to shoot other rounds. So someone might say, well, why would you need a pump action on a semi? Well, what if you're shooting non-lethals or what if you're shooting uh, a load that's not going to be able to operate that gas system? 
you know, or you might just have an underwhelming load mixed in with, you know, your irregular and you want to be able to clear it without having to go through a whole like tap rack manual of arms. Yeah. Or you just want to run it as a pump. Or you just want to run it as a pump. I mean, I think to have that option would be amazing. Especially imagine if you had an M4 that still ran that and then, ah, oh, we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the next one. Now, this one was very difficult too. I wanted to include like a, a cool Milserp, you know, military rifle in here beyond some of the other ones we've talked about, but I wanted a bolt action and choosing this gun was hard. I chose the Mauser K98 to put on this list. But I also chose this as sort of a hunting rifle category. Reason being is because so many modern hunting rifles are built on the basic Mauser action. It's crazy how influential that action has been. Uh, now, the Germans stole it from Springfield, the 03, uh, but we won't go there. But the K98, the reason I cho- cho- chose it is because it's such a mass-produced bolt-action rifle that made a lot of them. Now, people would argue, well, they made 41 million uh, M9130s. Uh, Mosins, yes, they did, and yes, the Mosins an awesome you know type of rifle. However, there's no like modern sporting guns really that are designed on that that action. It's right. kind of an antiquated action because really the the Mosin is nothing more than a Burdan with locking lugs. Now mm-hmm. the old Burdan, we won't go there. The, it's an old school black powder single shot rifle that the uh, Russians were using. They basically just took the Burdan and added locking lugs. So it was already an antiquated design in 1930. In 1930, <laughs> when the 9130 was designated in 1930, the base gun was made in 1891. So you're talking a gun that was kind of old school. They took an existing black powder gun, added locking lugs, bam, you got a modern gun, move it, easy. But the K98, a little different, you know, more elegant, uh, more capable, accurate, reliable, can feed from a variety of different positions because it's controlled feed. So many sporting rifles have been designed on the Mauser action because of its proven capabilities in the field. And I think there's something to say for that. It, it deserves to be on this it list. It is without a doubt. I'm, and I'm talking about the Mauser action here. One of the smoothest actions that I've ever shot. Yeah. I mean, it is. And, and to put that action mass produced into that many rifles it really says something about the dedication to craftsmanship because that's not something that you would see in this day and age. It it would be more like what's the, you know, most least expensive action with the gritty, you know, sandpaper action. Like, ah, oh, it, it happens all the time and you have to go in and, and modify it. But that action out of the box was like glass, man. The rifles acquitted themselves quite well. Yes. I mean, they, they served the purpose that they needed to serve. Now, one would argue that the K98 probably wasn't the best choice for them to use as a general purpose infantry rifle. I'm not going to argue tactics. Obviously, the Garand won over because you got eight shots in a semi-auto. I mean, that's, yep. that's definitely going to beat out a five-shot uh, hunting rifle, basically. But we won't go there. The K98 is an iconic gun, and its action has been used and still continues to be used in various forms all over for sporting guns. And I think it's important to include it on this list. Absolutely. All right, number nine. The Fostec Origin 12. Woo! We have to add the Origin to this list. It is a absolute unit. It's a beast. Oh, my God. It's a beast. I mean, when you hold that thing in your hands, it's like God himself couldn't do anything. I mean, this thing is... It's absolutely, and then you, if you add like the twenty round drum underneath, thirty round drum. 30 round drum. Yeah. Oh, I don't man. think they're making the thirties anymore. They stopped making those, but they have twenties. 
and they have uh, 10 round sticks, 8 round sticks, 5 round sticks. It's a magazine fed shotgun, semi automatic. Um, it uses a gas system that's kind of a take on the M4. Now, that's why I say we were going to get back to the M4 because the Benelli M4 is a very unique gas system that it does allow you to A, run a wide variety of different loads and different weights, including some pretty light loads. And B, allows you to add a lot of extra weight to the shotgun like accessories without affecting the functionality of the shotgun. So the M4 is the apex of the Benelli system, if you will. But the Origin kind of picks up gas in a very similar way to the M4. And it's it's kind of a hodgepodge of the M4 and the Kalashnikov. And, you know, it, it marries those concepts really well. And they are freakishly fast. Oh, yeah. So, like, if you've got a fast trigger finger and you can shoot fast, it's one of the fastest cycling shotguns on the planet. You will not outrun it. It'll run a wide variety of different loads. Um, they're accurate. They're pretty dang reliable. Uh, they're very modern, very modular. The coatings on the Nibix models, I mean, they will not rust in the field. It's the apex of shotguns, in my opinion, in terms of just raw power. Like, they're just awesome. They're And being box-fed, it's just a different vibe, you know, like, Loading an M4 Benelli in a hurry, especially with a pistol grip, can be a little difficult and cumbersome and requires a lot of skill and time to learn how to do really well. The Origin, that bolt gets locked to the rear on the last shot, you drop the mag, you put another box mag in, and you're in business. You know, hit the bolt stop, bam, she's ready to go again. So the box-fed shotguns, I think, are a thing. Like, that's a modern take on a classic cartridge. You know, 12-gauge, the limitation of a shotgun is really the ammo. Mm -hmm. A 12 gauge, you know, you're trying to fit 150 year old freaking, you know, old school technology into a modern weapon system. That is a difficulty. So I feel like they've navigated those waters quite well with the origin. I think that they did an outstanding job, both in the aesthetics department. It looks amazing. It looks really, really cool. It shoots really, really good. Um, they just had a lot of different configurations. I don't know if they offer the OAW version anymore, um, but they did have like some some SBSs and some really some really cool. They still, configurations. I think they still make an AOW. They make a. I don't know if they're still doing the SBV, which is the firearm. Yes, that's that's the version uh, um, that they were. I know they, they do they, SBSs, and of course you can get them in eighteen inch. They're really cool. Yeah, man. check them out. Go check it out if you got the pocketbook for it. <laughs> they they are they are pricey, but it is a really cool shotgun. Yeah. And I, I wanted it to be on this list because it's it's just awesome. The AA-12 could have been on this list. Now, we ha we have shot AA-12s. That's cool. But the reason the AA-12 wasn't on this list is because they're not really available. You can't get them. Yeah. They're unobtainium. Yeah, the Origin right. 12 is faster than an AA-12, and you can you can get them. They ran into some legal issues. Yeah. Mm. There, there are some weird <laughs> things going on with that. All right. Last but not least, and yes, we have a quick wild card we'll go over for each of us. All right. Last one on the list, number 10. The AR-15. Come on. Oh, faithful. You got to put the AR on. That's there. right. Got You have to. And I mean, you cannot have one without the other. So when you guys heard us throw up the AK series, you knew at some point in time we were going to have the AR platform. We weren't going to leave you hanging. Oh, no. <laughs> um, innovative. Absolutely. Serves a purpose. 100%. It was a 100% solution at the time to when they needed it. They needed a specific cartridge for a specific mission in the war in Vietnam. That's why it was created. Um, light, for what it was worth, maintenance was okay if they were taught how to do it. Uh, so most were not. 
Um, but most importantly, light, lightweight. Oh, yeah. Ammo is light because I'll tell you what, I've had to truck, you know, 308 ammo around and it is a, it is an absolute nightmare to have to carry a full combat load. That's right. Well, you know, in, in, in NAM, the early ball powders they were using were definitely fouling out really bad. And a lot of the troops were not issued cleaning kits, were not taught how to clean very well, maybe didn't. Mm-hmm. Or, and some of them were even told, I ain't yeah. got to clean it. it cleans Whatever. itself. It's self-cleaning. Yeah. A, a lot of the early issues were a combination of twist rates, powders. Um, but once they got those teething issues worked out, of course, we know today that it's it's fared quite well. It's been yeah. quite a great gun. Uh, the DI system, very smooth. Of course, there are piston versions of the AR out there. There's every myriad of random technologies that has been built around the AR platform. Fight Light makes their uh, belt-fed upper, which is really cool. Um, you've got piston, DI, different calibers, conversions. I mean, you name it, there's an option for it. The AR-15 is the adult Legos of the gun world, and That's a very good it is way here to, put to stay. It. It is I, definitely here to I stay. I actually think it has more staying power. It's going to outlast the AK, just because of oh, the yeah. way it's going. It's just so much more They're modular. much easier to mess with than an yep. AK. The AK is really designed to be manufactured. It's yep. not really designed to be messed with. It's designed to make it, send it out the door, and you forget about it. That's it. I it's like gone, that. and it's a memory. Adult Legos. It is. Yep. Totally. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get down to some wild cards. Your wild card, Matt. My wild card is the M134D from Dylan Arrow. Um, D being the more, more important aspect of that because they had different nomenclatures, but this one had the uh, updated clutch system, which really allowed it to not get jammed up as much. And some people would say, well, why, why isn't that part of, you know, your, you know, main suite? It's because it's a crew serve weapon. It requires outside power. You have to have a separate battery to run the actual gun. And then you actually have the bullets going into it. It's a lot of different parts, a lot of different little things that you need. So it and is they're a, not really available. They're not available. Um, and if they are, you have to buy everything separately. So you have the actual main gun. Then you have to go and buy the clutch assembly. Then you have to go and buy like the battery and Tripod, the, all man. the stuff, man. They're going to nickel and dime you over I everything. Mean, it's but an awesome gun. It is. It was the first gun to, I guess, mass produce the Gatlin system. And I mean, it works extremely well, both oh, in yeah. five, five, six, and 7.62. It's pretty crazy, like, how fast those things are. So, real quick, I'll just kind of mention that, all right, if you take the barrels on a minigun, and let's just say that you were to, uh, I think, six barrels. Yes. If you were to take... Five blanks and one live round and run your belt with that, right? Run the dag blanks for five and then your 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 one live round. That one barrel that's shooting the live round is the rate of fire of an M60 machine gun. So just think about that for a second. That one-sixth of the rate of fire of that gun is an M60. And you know how fast an M60 shoots. Yep. So imagine that. Like, that's how fast it is. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So if you look down range and see the rounds hitting, all right, someone shoots a burst out of an M60, all right, and you watch how fast the rounds are hitting the berm, and then do every sixth a live round in a minigun, the rate of fire is the same. (laughs) So now make it all live and imagine how fast it runs. Oh, yeah. That's to put it in perspective how much lead you're throwing down range with that thing. It's it's unimaginable to to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah. No, thank you. It's it's a freakish amount of lead going down range. And the coolest thing about them is when you mount them in helicopters and aircraft and yep. you're riding around, yep. it's just 
Holy Moses! It's yeah. just so much firepower. It's so cool. Well, the first thing, the first time I you can actually witness, if you guys ever want to see what the Coriolis effect looks like, look at a helicopter flying in a circle and a minigun, and you literally see there. It looks like their rounds are arcing because the Coriolis effect from the helicopter is so cool. sick, man. All right. So speaking of weaponized aircraft, my choice. All right. Now I guess the wild card's kind of our dream guns. How about a gun? That they had to build an airplane onto. Ooh. The A-10. Ah. The 30-millimeter Vulcan, baby. <laughs> the breath of God. Oh, yes. And when, when it speaks, you listen. You have no choice but to listen. You listen for about 0.5 seconds <laughs> before Dude, you don't listen anymore. <laughs> that aircraft is freakish. I mean, when that thing goes off, it actually slows the aircraft down. Yep. So you're, you're taxiing along, and that thing goes, and it, it, it will actually slow the aircraft down when it fires. Those, I mean, it's literally a gun that they built a plane around. That's this true. isn't. Oh, we got a plane. What? How? What should we arm it with? No, 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 no. What are we? What plane are we going to build to drive our gun? Like they built a gun and then had to build a plane around it. That's right. Like, how crazy is that? And then they put a bathtub where the pilot sits, made out of titanium. <laughs> what? I mean, who comes up with these things? Yeah. Geniuses. Cool? Absolute geniuses. Because 30 millimeter of, yeah. Vulcan. I mean, like, you're talking 30 millimeter chain gun. I mean, like, absolutely yep. visceral. I mean, if you ever hear one, it's just a sound that you cannot unhear. Nope. It's then, a freakishly scary sound when you're the good guys. Imagine being the bad guys and those rounds are impacting in your area. I mean, that has to be the scariest thing a human can endure is to be engaged with an A-10. Just hearing those turbo fans come in without, you know, without even hearing the main gun and you hear the turbo fans coming and you're like, oh, God, we're oh, going to get smoked. <laughs> like, can you imagine the terror that yep. that thing has to impart on the battlefield? Then, what an impressive weapon. And then it's throwing 30 millimeter depleted uranium rounds. <laughs> I mean, dude, how... <laughs> How much cooler of a gun can you ask for? Yeah, that that's pretty much the pinnacle of of what you can get. You it know? sure is. All right, so that's been our top ten. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We are kind of getting near the end here. We got our wild cards. We got our top ten. Let us know what your top ten guns are. Give us your list down in the comment section below. Maybe we'll revisit this one and we'll critique a few of our favorite lists. And then if you see some really bad ones, we're going to roast you. Good idea. So yep. we'll do the best and the worst. <laughs> Give us your top 10. Let us know what you think. And we'll go there. All right. Have a great week. Really appreciate uh, appreciate you guys tuning in here on today's podcast. Uh, tune in every week here. Usually every week. Sometimes we, we skip a week or two when we're taking a break. But usually every Saturday we post here on Iraq Veteran 8888 if you want to check out the podcast. Also, remember, leave us a good rating on all the various podcast servers. That helps us show up in the search engine a little bit better. Have a great day. Great week. Many more on the way. I appreciate you guys. And that's been our top 10. Matt, thanks for hanging out, man. Hey, man. My pleasure. Dude, make sure you go over Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a snazzy new t-shirt. Uh, you can support our podcast by doing so. Uh, appreciate you guys. Many more on the way. See you soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.